Um, well, we're virtually strangers, aren't we? So let me ask you some questions. Uh, Wordle. Who, who does Wordle? Anyone does Wordle? You don't need to be embarrassed. Quite a few people do. Yeah, you see, when I said you don't need to be embarrassed, then you were like, oh, okay, I might do it. Um, uh, there's some offshoots of Wordle. Wordle is a, like a, a game online that you play that you have to guess. You've got five guesses to guess a five-letter word. Um, and since it got taken over by the New York Times, some of the spelling has been a bit dodgy, if you ask me. Anyway, so there's Wordle. There are offshoots of Wordle, too. Uh, we've got Worldle. Does anyone do Worldle? Yes, oh, we're here at the front, we do Worldle. Worldle is where you like, they give you a, a country, and then you've got to guess which country it is. Uh, then we've got um, Absurdle. Does anyone do Absurdle? Uh, what about... Loodle and Swerdle. Anyone? No, you wouldn't confess to that anyway, would you? There is a Taylor Swift one, which I learned about yesterday, called Tayloodle. Uh, Star Wardle, uh, for people who like Star Trek Wars and those kind of things. Uh, there's a 16-letter one. Does anyone know about the 16-letter one? Called Sedacordal. Uh, yeah, oh, you're pointing to somebody who's doing it now. Great. Uh, and my favourite is called Hurdle. Does anyone do Hurdle, where you guess the track? So it gives you like five goes to guess the track. If you don't, like, it gives you up to 16 seconds at the end, but the real key is to get it in one second. Um, I haven't got a chance if it is what we call in our family youth music. I've not got a Scooby if it's one of those. Now, obviously, this is a terrible way to start a talk uh, because I open up for you all sorts of possibilities of how you might spend the next 20 minutes. <laughs> now, these games, right, these kind of are, I wonder what this is. Um, like something that we don't know moving to something that we do know. Um, some, some people kind of, like, that could be a mystery when you start it to where you end it. And we use the word mystery a bit to explain things that we don't know. So, for me, the internet is a mystery. I have not got the first idea how it works. Now, I'm sure there are some people here who could tell me how it works, but I'm not one of them. Physics, a complete mystery to me. The reason that my wife and my three daughters incessantly watch Gilmore Girls, complete mystery. Uh, anyone else with me on this? Complete mystery. Uh, we've all got things that we don't understand. My youngest is taking GCSEs this year. Uh, last summer, she had COVID, and so we had to do her exams in our sitting room, and I was the invigilator. Uh, she did the, her maths exam. Now, maths is like a new language to her every single day. And so this was the answer to the final question. If we could have the slide up, please. Write down the gradient of the line with the equation y equals minus 3x plus 7. She says she wasn't trying to be funny. She was just trying to answer the question. She just said, steep. Uh, and, and I think that's as close as I would get to the right answer of that. But there will be people who could... Are there people who could answer that question? Don't be shy. At the back there, uh, all of the back row could answer that question. 
Now, there are things for all of us that we consider like it's just like mysterious to us. But the thing is, with this question, there are people that could help us answer it, aren't there? And actually, what happens in life is like when we use the word mystery, we kind of use it wrongly because we use the word mystery to describe things just that we just don't understand because we haven't got that information yet. But with telescopes and with exploration in the earth and the sea, with science and with psychology, with medicine and with computers, there's n almost nothing that we can't find out. So really, and probably with everybody in the room, there's loads of things that I might understand, not understand, that you could help me understand because we could just pool our knowledge. Now, Colossians 1 is a phenomenal passage, and in it, Paul talks about mystery. Uh, and he says this mystery has been hidden from everybody for all time and has just been revealed now. And it's a mystery because we learn in this what we would never be able to learn if it was just left up to us. So it's completely different than physics. It's completely different uh, than uh, planets. It's completely different than what's at the bottom of the ocean. It's completely different than how the internet works. Because this mystery is something that we wouldn't have the first clue about unless it was revealed. It's, it's not about sharing our own knowledge. It's not about our own research. It's not about our own thinking. It's not about science. It's not about machines. It's not about technology. You don't enter this mystery by going through a wardrobe. You don't enter this mystery by going to platform nine and three quarters. This mystery isn't just for you if you're clever enough, if you've got a special IQ, or if you were in the right building at the right time. This mystery is for everybody. And this mystery, which is the mystery of all mysteries, actually isn't just said in words, but given in a person, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is um, a piece of art by Mark Wallinger. Uh, it is called Ecce Homo, and it was on the fourth plinth of Trafalgar Square till uh, someone put an ice cream cone there. Uh, this uh, is Christ. It is, he's about five foot eleven, um, and it's disarming. Because what, what if Paul's right? What if the mystery of all mysteries is Jesus Christ? Three times in these 11 verses, Jesus Christ is referred to as the mystery of Christ. Why is he referred to as a mystery? I think he's referred to as a mystery because what we are given in Jesus, we would have no hope of working out on our own. What we get given is something we could never have grasped ourselves. So this mystery of Christ, well, on our own, I know we're inclined towards God. In Ecclesiastes language, like God has set eternity within the hearts of human beings. But, but we can't truly know who God is on our own. We can't work this out on our own. If it is left to us, we just use long philosophical words and concepts God is the most misunderstood word in the language. 
And I think we understand this when we stand before this mystery, God among us. Because who God shows himself to be in this one is completely different than we could ever have imagined. In Jesus of Nazareth, God comes and reveals to us what we would have no chance of knowing. God's like a father who runs down the road to meet a wayward son. God's like a woman who searches a house to find a coin. In Jesus, we meet a God who would not be without us. A God who goes to every single length to establish what he didn't break. This God is seen uniquely in Jesus Christ. If God hadn't revealed himself in Christ, we wouldn't know this. But now it's been disclosed, and most profoundly it's disclosed on the world's darkest day. On the day that if we lean into it, we see the horror of what we do to each other. We see the horror of what we do to innocent people. We string them up. And if that isn't bad enough of what we do to one another, we see what we do to God. We try and expel God from his own world. And so we see this other mystery. As well as the mystery of Christ, we, we, Scripture holds out this mystery of, of sinfulness. Why, do we, why would we choose this? What is there to be gained by us doing this? Why do we reject the God who comes to us? But the bigger mystery is, why would he, in the horrors of Golgotha, choose to love us above himself? His enemies. This mystery, you see, isn't just God kind of reveals what God's like, but when he shows us what he's like, we're just like lost for words. Why would God love us like this? The depths of mercy and forgiveness and grace. Have you wondered that recently? Have you wondered at the mystery of why you are loved with the enormity and relentlessness that Jesus loves you. And it's really hard to get our heads around this. And so what we do is we try to find things in ourselves that make us lovable. As Emily said, um, Belinda and I led a church in Reading, at St. Lawrence Reading, right in the center of town there amongst young people. And um, our services were a bit more Zoo TV than yours um, in terms of it was absolute chaos. Um, and different people lead to, li used to lead different bits through. And one point um, happened that still like is lodged in my brain of a time that I should have rushed the microphone. Uh, this, this guy led this part of the service through, which was, he was doing it really well-meaningly. Uh, we had a few young people around, and he said to everybody, he said, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to the person next door to you and to, to, to tell them what you think it is about them that makes God love them? What is it that's special about them that would make God particularly love them? 
well, people chatted for a, a couple of minutes, and then we had things like, well, you know, because people sh shouted things, but because they're really clever, or because they're kind, or they make great chocolate brownies, or they play the guitar really well, or uh, they do their makeup really well. I should have rushed the microphone, shouldn't I? But we all do this. We all scurry around to try and find something in us that might make us worthy of, of the love of Christ. The danger is if we go down this road, a legion for us. But God doesn't love us for anything that we have to scrap around to find ourselves lovable in. He, he loves me as, a, as an enemy, as one who is against him. He loves me because of him. I know I'm made in his image, and he loved, but, but his love is based entirely in his own being, in his being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What, but why would God love us like this then? The, the reason we can't find a good enough explanation for this is because it is a mystery. Why God chooses to love us as he does. And sometimes I think because we know it's a mystery, we think it's not true. But this is a really, this is the truest thing there is. And it's true for everybody. Christ is, is the mystery who makes sense of every person's life. Everybody that you drove past here today, if you were on the bus, everybody who was on that bus, if you walked down the road, everybody on that road, Jesus Christ makes sense of because this is a mystery that is for everybody. For everybody, all these people, all these people. Christ is the mystery of God for them. Not just for us in church, but for everybody, all these people. All these people. God is the mystery of all these people. And so what we find when we kind of lean into Christ is that he is the mystery that enables us to comprehend how we might answer all the questions that we have in life. How, how do we relate to one another? What are we here for? Who should we seek to become? What should we hold out for? How do we love ourselves and other people? How do we cope with hurt and pain? Jesus Christ is the mystery of God which stands, who stands in front of every person and enables us to answer all these things. Christ isn't, you see, Christ isn't a mystery. Sometimes it feels like at church we're just trying to iron out the mystery, make it all simple. But, but Christ isn't the mystery because there isn't anything to say. Christ is the mystery, and he gives us everything to say. Because it's been revealed what we would never have known ourselves. But where does this take place? Is this just this figure, this historical person who stands in front of us? We call ourselves Christians, and, and we're honored to do so. But how many times do you think the word Christian appears in the New Testament? Seven. Instead, I think the New Testament prefers another phrase, which is in Christ. Over 170 times, 27 times in Ephesians, 
being in Christ. We are those by the Spirit who've said yes to what God has done for us, who find ourselves through nothing that we've done in Christ. How does this happen? I think this happens by something like a cable tie. Right, I think what happens, I'll put it here, is that in the Spirit, tighter than a cable tie, we are wedded, we are bonded, we are united with Christ. You see, the mystery doesn't take place out there, it takes place in here. And so being in Christ isn't just a part of our lives. We really struggle as like 21st century Christians to kind of integrate faith sometimes. If we just see faith as like, this is something I believe, or this is just something I do. But if we are in Christ, if the Spirit has bound us to Christ, then this is something we are. And, and Paul then uses all these words like, you know, glorious riches, full riches, treasure, because he just can't get to the bottom of the implications of being in Christ. Because the one who was and is and is to come completely defines who I was, who I am, and who I will be. Everything is bound up with this one who binds us to himself in the Spirit. So Paul says in Colossians, the mystery of Christ, which is mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who can get to the bottom of this wonderfulness? But this is our reality. Friends, this is what we are. We are those in Christ. And so the New Testament kind of says that all of our actions should be appropriate to be those in Christ. Everything we do. And so he talks in this one about hope, the hope of glory, that suggests as we sang that God's plan doesn't stop for us at the grave. In fact, it's probably hardly begun. The hope of glory. We've all been really moved, haven't we, by Deborah James, now Dame Deborah James, and all that she's done. But she said this week, all I want is more life. Of course, of course, of course, of course. But this is the longing that will only really be fulfilled with the hope of glory. Do you, do you need some of this hope in Christ? This hope is like, um, I was here last week and I heard Emily, I know Emily's a great fan of a football illustration, so I've got one for you as well. There was, in, in Hong Kong, there was um, a betting firm who used to take um, bets on the English Premiership games. And... Um, what they realized at one point is that everybody seemed to be betting in the last half minute of the game. Because what, what they didn't realize was happening is that they were getting the results on the phone, but there was a half minute of opportunity when the game had finished in the UK and the betting was still open. And so you can imagine how much more, because it's like the result is certain, so we're going to bet the bank on it because we know this is what's happened. That is Christian hope, my friends. Christian hope is putting all your chips, all your weight on something which is an absolute, I was going to say dead certainty, but because it's a resurrection, it's not a dead certainty. But you know, it's like, this is our hope. This is how much we can be absolutely assured of this. We can bet the bank on it. 
but it also means something about suffering. In this passage, Paul talks about suffering a number of times. He starts, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now, he's clearly not saying that Jesus didn't suffer enough, that somehow he's got to kind of add to what Jesus did, because no one can. But could it be, could it possibly be that when we suffer, we kind of participate in Christ. We find a closeness with Christ that we only truly find in those darkest places. It's right that we pray for healing. And if you are sick today and you, you want to hold out for, you want to pray for healing, it's right. It's always right to ask. But what if it is the case that in affliction, we can enter into what we couldn't comprehend with our worldly idols of ease and comfort. Haven't we all experienced that? (laughs) Haven't we all experienced in things that we would never have chosen for ourselves and those we love, a proximity, a closeness of God to us that we, we were amazed at? Through the valley of the shadow of death, we've known Christ journeying close, close, close with us. We don't know why the suffering happens. And we should never really trust anyone who's got an easy answer for it. But we know that in the mystery of Christ, in the middle of the pain, there is a profound and unique proximity of Jesus, the suffering one with us. St. Mark's, I don't know you. I don't know what you're going through, but I wonder sometimes whether some of us have sometimes been sold a lie on suffering, as if there was a a pain-free life for us as Christians, as if it was possible to live a suffering-free life. And worse still, that living a suffering-free life was a reward for godliness, was a sign of God's proximity, of his favor and evidence that you're on the right track. My experience is the opposite. The mystery of Christ in the middle of our sufferings, in the middle of our pain, that we know ourselves to be given hope. This is the mystery of Christ. This is who he is. And this takes place not out there, but in us. The hope of glory in us. Christ in us. Us in Christ. And lastly, we just need to comprehend that this in Christness doesn't just happen to us as individuals. It's not just a kind of private thing. This is something for others too. We live in a world where we're encouraged to fit our own oxygen mask first. Now, I'm not going to tell you something different on the aeroplane. Do what they say. But we don't just do it on the aeroplane. We do it everywhere on the whole. Well, I certainly do. I know some people that don't. But on the whole, we just look after ourselves first. And if there's anything left over, then we might give it to other people. But in this, Paul is exercised. He says again, he, like, he strenuously contends. He contends with the energy and the power that Christ works in him. But he doesn't do this for himself, but for other people. And he's never met these people. He didn't plant this church. He's a stranger to them. He contends for the maturity in Christ of those he has never met. 
No, I'm not asking you to do that. But I think there is something on all of us as we seek to be mature in Christ, to give our lives away for the sake of other people. That, that we find ourselves to be those who are growing in Christ as we give our lives away. And actually, we spend the majority of our lives doing that. We want to see others mature in Christ. This is what church is for. This is why church isn't really about us as individuals. It's about everybody. And it's about what we can do for one another to enable that maturity to be realized. Who can you do that for this week? A word of encouragement, a prayer. Even they might know about it, they might not need to know about it. But who is the Lord laying on your heart to contend strenuously for? Our lives are altogether futile as followers of Jesus if we live them for ourselves. I don't know what today's five-letter wordle is. I'll, I'll enjoy working it out later, and I hope none of you spent the last, oh, sorry, a bit, 25 minutes working it out. But I wonder sometimes about whether I should spend as long on those kind of things as I spend on the real uh, five-letter mystery, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this mystery would be your greatest certainty. I pray that you may wander at it and rejoice in it. I pray that you may give yourselves constantly to it, that you might realize it in suffering and in hope. I pray that you would make all your decisions on this truth, that you are bonded, you are in Christ and that you might live this, not just as individuals, but together. That God might come and live the fullness of his life in you. Amen.